So on a scale from one to 10, Brett, how much of a prevert are you? Oh, I would probably say six and a half, seven. I think I can keep my prevertness under control, under lock and key when I'm out in public, you know? Uh, I don't think people around me would know too much that I'm I'm a total prevert. I try to respect. I try to respect the ladies around me, you know? <laughs> yeah, I actually respect. would rate myself at about a seven as well. Uh, I don't think that my prevertedness is enough to uh, endanger anybody else or to disrespect anybody's consent. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely more on the prevert side because none of my girlfriends will go see puppetry of the penis with me in Vegas. I mean, it's so disappointing. I need to get some other seven and ups to to go see the weirdo entertainment with me. Yeah, I did not know that uh, Vegas had a penis puppetry show, but that does not surprise me. It's Vegas. Of course they have a penis puppetry show. What was I thinking? <laughs> I mean, it's like the Mecca for strip clubs. Like, there's... There's going to be all sorts of entertainment from Zoomanity to everything else. So, I mean, you know, it's it's a wonder why neither of our parents whisked us away to camps like True Directions to become normal. Yeah. But then again, maybe our parents are good parents. Could be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, should we start the show? Let's do it. I'm Shira. I'm a rom-com fan. I'm Brett. I'm a horror movie fan. Each week, Brett and I make each other watch movies. He makes me watch a horror. I make him watch a rom-com. And then we flip-flop those movies. We turn the horror into a rom-com and the rom-com into a horror. And... This time, our theme is cheerleaders. In part one, we discussed Satan's cheerleaders, Brett's horror movie pick, and now we are moving on to But I'm a Cheerleader, a sweet little cult movie uh, that I actually, this was the reason why we're doing cheerleaders. I just really wanted to watch this movie. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that made this movie come to your mind says like, I need to watch this. It's gay. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, after cats and dogs. Well, after cats and dogs was frustrating. Yes. Because it clearly seemed like there was this female to female relationship that was clearly the center of the movie. Um, but then we got shifted. Like, I mean, you more than anyone would agree with me that the, guy from cats and dogs was completely bland and yeah. unworthy of getting the girl in the end. Um, so I, 
one of the things that I'm invested in when it comes to representing the rom-com side of this podcast is demonstrating to people that there are many ways to do a rom-com. I mean, there's a mainstream rom-com, just like we have an image in our mind of what a mainstream horror movie is or a mainstream slasher movie. Your, you know, Halloween franchise versus, you know, something crazy and weird by, um, what is it, David Cronenberg or something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things fall on a spectrum of, of, you know, being small and independent or being intelligent or being mainstream, lowbrow, highbrow. And so I wanted to show that there could be a different kind of rom-com, one that's not just straight people and one that has a vision that isn't just limited to playing out these scenes. I think something that you talk about really often is that with a romantic comedy, there really is no necessity to be artistic in the way that you frame the movie because it's really more about the story and the characters. But with a cult movie like But I'm a Cheerleader, I kind of like that it exists in this twee Edward Scissorhands suburbia world where you know, sort of the heteronormative world is betray- portrayed as if it's almost not even reality, but we're pretending like it is. And I, I don't know, I really like things that are willing to be unusual and tell a different story from the norm, but still cover the tropes that we really love. So I mentioned to you that I really love a good chase after the one you love scene. And I think that this movie has one of the best ones because in a lot of those scenes, right, um, it's usually the protagonist interrupting the one they love during something that they actually have to do, like a press conference or uh, a gig, you know, like in um, What's Your Number? But this is actually a high-pressure situation where if she doesn't get her out of there she's going to lose her and Mm -hmm. and it's going to be bad. So the sort of coming to the rescue and confessing your love has much higher stakes here than it usually does in a mainstream rom-com. Yeah, I would agree. Like this movie does have a very keen cinematic eye uh, and it's, yeah, it's very well shot and it's shot in a way that, brings out the comedy um i would definitely agree that this is basically like uh or that this is very reminiscent of uh edward scissorhands it's definitely got that scissorhandsy cultish vibe where suburbia is as freakish as any goth weird tower (laughs) like where edward scissorhands came from is just as weird as where he ended up yeah. Um, and yeah, I did not know what this movie was about at all. I remember seeing it at Blockbuster when I worked at Blockbuster and I thought like, oh, this is just a dumb teenager rom-com cheerleader movie. And then when I looked at the back, it was, I heard the what the movie was about. And then I was like, oh, this seems different. So I knew I was getting into a movie that was like not what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised at how 
at where the movie was going once it got there. When I first saw this movie, I think I was in middle school and I was not mature enough to mm-hmm. see this movie because it actually legitimately scared me into thinking if I wasn't normal or if I was weird enough, then I could be sent away that my friends and family would notice how different I am and assume because, you know, in the beginning of the movie, she's totally in denial about being gay. Um, And I thought, is this something that can actually happen to innocent people? Like you're just going about your life thinking that what you're doing and saying is just normal. And then other people are judging you and thinking of sending you away It is kind of terrifying to think about that that could be someone's reality if you aren't straight acting enough. Yeah, um, the movie does start off a little bit weird for me in that regard because she does, uh, the main character, Megan, does kind of, it seems like everything's good, but then everyone around her is clearly, like, she has no idea. She's just completely oblivious. And uh, I think maybe I know that this movie is very well loved and has a very big cult following and the movie is very good, but there's just a few things that just the calibration was a little bit off for me. And I think Natasha Lyonne is a good actress, but I just have a really hard time buying her as a dummy. (laughs) Right, It is hard to like, like her kind of as this bottle blonde, femme bimbo doesn't always seem like it quite works so how about you tell us the story of but i'm a cheerleader yeah so this is uh another high school uh cheerleading movie of course as most of them are 17 year old megan bloomfield is a sunny high school senior who loves cheerleading and is dating a football player jared uh jared really wants to get physical with megan who does not particularly enjoy getting physical with jared he's also a terrible kisser at all yeah it's so gross when he starts kissing her oh it's so gross uh and she's more interested in her fellow cheerleaders uh who she enjoys watching and um So the lack of interest in Jared combined with her interest in vegetarianism and Melissa Etheridge, who... (laughs) I loved that. That was so ridiculous. They take the Melissa Etheridge poster, the poster of the girl in her locker, like they're gathering all this evidence. evidence. (laughs) I did not... I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be super honest. And this is going to make me sound so dumb. I did not know that Melissa Etheridge was gay. So when they oh, were that like, she was a gay icon, I had no specifically idea. lesbian icon. Like uh, to me, Melissa Etheridge is a singer songwriter. You know what I mean? She's not a, like I don't care what her sexuality is. Are so, you saying you value Melissa Etheridge as a person beyond her sexual preferences? Yeah, my mom. I listened to Melissa Etheridge growing up because my mom liked her. So it was just. Are you oh, sure yeah. your mom's not a lesbian? My mom is very gay friendly (laughs) very gay friendly um so yeah so i just thought that that was funny that that was one of those moments that was like oh yeah no duh uh and so yeah so they 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 give her an intervention with the help of 
ex with well from a, a true direction employee an ex-gay named mike who is played of course expertly by rupaul charles uh, i loved seeing rupaul straight acting <laughs> It was pretty great. It was pretty great when they got him to come out. Uh, Of course, if anyone doesn't know, I can't imagine how you wouldn't if you're listening to this podcast and have seen this movie. Uh, RuPaul is a very famous gay icon. And Ooh, speaking of gay icons, did you notice Mink Stoll plays Megan's mom? No, I don't know who that is. So Mink Stoll, she appeared in a lot of John Waters movies. Oh, yes. Sonia did She's very gay friendly, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, No, I, yeah, I, like, I'm not even really, I don't, I don't know that much about RuPaul either, but I don't know. Growing up in the 90s, like, RuPaul was hard to miss. He was in the, the main zeitgeist pretty big. Well, he's also Um, seven feet tall. Yeah, this guy is ginormous, and he, he he looks so much younger because he looks like more well-rounded out. He looks more like well-toned physically. Now he looks very skinny. But yeah, he look- I mean he's a, he's a skinny dude. He, he looks almost no older though. <laughs> Yes. uh, RuPaul has those immortal Keanu Reeves, I'm forever young jeans. Um, Black don't crack. And so following the confrontation, of course, Megan is sent to True Directions, a reparative therapy camp, which uses a five-step program to convert its campers to heterosexuality. Ooh, so nightmare. Yes, this is where I mean, this is all played very funny. But to me, it was hard to like, even though I have no connection really with like religion or LGBTQ community type stuff. Like, this was so cringy. Like, this was basic. This was way more terrifying to people. I know this is way more terrifying than Satan's cheerleaders, like a hundred percent. Because this stuff, people, oh, man, I can't. It's happening right now. Right now. (laughs) Right now. Yeah, this movie is what, like 15 years old? And this stuff is still happening, man. It's it's sad. This is just so sad. But the movie is very funny. Uh, It's like she went to she went to Oz, basically. Right. Uh, So she meets the founder, who is a strict disciplinarian, Mary Brown. uh, And. Mary's supposedly heterosexual son, Rock, of course. We all know Rock is a very heterosexual Eddie Sebrian, Mr. Leanne Rhymes. Oh, wow. I did not know that either. Yeah. So there's a ton of people in this movie who are like celebrity-ish that I just yeah. don't have any connection to. Uh, and of course, there's a, a she meets the young group of people there who are trying to, quote unquote, cure themselves of their homosexuality. Uh, with the prompting of Mary and these other campers, Megan does reluctantly agree that she is, in fact, a lesbian, which is an actual revelation for her character. Um, What's funny to me is because she would have been in denial about it for much longer if they hadn't made her go to camp. Right. Like the actual act of making her go do conversion therapy is what helped her realize that she's gay. Right. Well, the first step in in dealing with a problem is admitting you have one, right? 
Right. Yeah. So being I just, gay, I think that's problem. just so such an irony. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's like the people who hire the the mystery gang to solve their their problems when really they are the problem, and then they're like, <laughs> "What mystery gang found out that I was the bad guy all along?" Like, what this this place that's that makes people realize that they can be the best of who they are actually made them the best person, and they're still gay. What? <laughs> um, so. Yes, so she is a lesbian. This is new to her, not new to anyone else. Uh, but this th- this is very hard for her, though, because even though she's she's struggling with being gay, she's more concerned about with her family, her religious upbringing, what this means for her. Uh, she's been taught basically that this is wrong and that she is a bad person and she is doing a bad thing. Uh, and early in her stay, she discovers two of the boys, Dolph and Clayton, making out and she sort of screams and panics and kind of rats them out to Mike and uh, Dolph is made to leave and Clayton is punished by being forced into the doghouse. Both cheerleading movies involve people getting locked in pens. Yeah. A lot of both of these cheerleading movies have a lot in common, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is funny, but yeah. So all of the kids are of course like very, um, very clearly like kind of characteristics of what a person might think a gay person is like, like very theater centric. Well, there's different, there's different types. Right. So, but it's all, it all fits because they're all, they all support each other. We, we start to learn uh, as Megan goes through the camp and as she goes through the steps that the the kids are kind of being encouraged to rebel against Mary by the by each other and by former ex gays Larry and Lloyd, uh, ex gays, ex ex gays. That's right. Who take the campers to a local gay bar, uh, and their Graham, who is played by Clea Duvall, alumni of the podcast, friend of the podcast, Clea Duvall. Uh, uh, they go to the bar. Clea Duvall is much more comfortable in her with her queerness than Megan. She's basically like, yeah, I'm here to just kind of get this over with. Uh, I don't plan on changing, you know, whatever. You just get um, better at hiding. Right. And so uh, at the at the gay bar, Graham and Megan's relationship develops into much more of an actual romance. And I liked their kiss. It was a very cute kiss. And it was sad because the other lady wanted, had a crush on Graham. And so it was like, you know, it's not like everything's tied up in a neat little bow. It's like, no relationships are messy, especially when you're a young teenager, like relationships are messy and everyone's feeling everything about everyone. And it's all over the place. So it was good. Um, when Mary discovers the tr- the trip, she makes them all picket Larry and Lloyd's house. Uh, and some of those <laughs> some of those slogans and signs were pretty good. Um, <laughs> and when Mary discovers the trip, uh, or then Megan and Graham sneak away one night to have some sexy times, and they begin to fall in love. And of course, now when Mary finds this out. Uh, she has to kind of force them to to admit it and to repent and to stay on the path of righteousness. You would think 
Graham, who is the more headstrong adversarial one, would be the one who taps out, but she actually stays under pressure from her family. And it is Megan. Megan is the one who decides to stay true to herself and what run a away. Twist. Yeah. Who and she runs away from camp. She has nowhere to go, so of course she goes to Larry and Lloyd's. Uh, and she kind of basically has to like come up with a plan to win Graham back. And of course, um, What's his name is there? Dolph is there. He's Rubio. got a blue Clayton back. Oh, yeah, that's right. I thought he looked familiar. Um, but basically, I don't know if you want to take it from here for the ending. No, because t- tell, they, tell them. I want to hear your perspective. They go to the basically what is like a wedding scene, right? It's a graduation uh, ceremony. It's it's a graduation ceremony, but it's basically a wedding. Mary is making rock and graham sort of marry and pledge their eternal heterosexuality-ness for each other and to god and uh megan has to come up and like do this cute little love declaration where she has to be herself and by being herself she performs a little cheer for graham and it's a very cute scene because cheerleaders are very dumb, they're very stupid, they're very annoying, but this is what makes Megan happy. And she uses what makes her happy to to show that Graham makes her happy. And it's a very cute scene, it's very lovely. Uh, they end up kind of getting chased away, but then uh, Graham runs back to them and sort of says, get me out of here! And they they escape from the, the camp and... Um, yeah, and I like how Clayton is very much willing to accept Dolph's declaration of love right away. He's like, oh, like within seconds. <laughs> within like it was seconds. much easier for them to get back together than they for her to convince uh, Graham. Um, but yeah, then it basically ends with a scene of Megan's parents sort of attending a meeting that where they have to kind of come to terms with their daughter's homosexuality, and it's nice because like. You know, the the people who were in the wrong kind of recognize where they were in the wrong. The the people who need to get a good comeuppance kind of, you know, it, there's no major poo-pooing in this movie, but, you know. I think the it, only poo-poo was that the, uh, the XX gays stormed the graduation ceremony right. and ruined it by going after uh, two of the people. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's I mean, it's a very cute, fun movie, because at the end of the day, the way they combat hate and sort of violence, even though Mary isn't violent, violent, you know, she's pickpocketing and threatening discipline. It's they they threaten hate and violence with love and tolerance. And it's like, oh, that's a nice message. I like that, that too. too. Yeah. So I like it. Um yeah, it, it was a very good movie. Yeah, I, I thought I I did really like the end when you see that her parents are starting to learn the error of their ways because it's so it's just so fucked up. Like even though yeah. I think the way that this movie tries to dramatize that situation and make it so kind of um, almost Wes Andersony, bigger than reality, whimsical almost like a fairy tale, but fairy tales have villains. And in this case, the villains are these parents saying, if you can't be straight, 
you don't get to come home. And then they have to find their own families, like the uh, Larry and Lloyd argue like parents. Because they have to raise all these little guys that free themselves and have nowhere to go. They're such good communicators. And when they disagree, they communicate. And then they they make up and they forgive each other and they respect each other. Oh, it was so nice. It's always nice to see good relationships on screen. Yes, I I loved seeing Larry and Lloyd's relationship. How about um Julie Delphi as the uh lipstick lesbian? I say lipstick lesbian because that's literally how she's credited in the movie. Um that's the 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 lesbian with the basically the electro stimulator. No, she's the one at the bar that danced with Megan. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, uh, Before Sunrise. That's right. I I don't know if I've seen a lot of her movies. So I don't know if... Like, this whole movie feels like Wet Hot American Summer to me, which I know I name-dropped in Satan's Mm -hmm. Cheerleaders. But this movie did make me think of Wet Hot American Summer, too, because... Wet Hot American Summer is a is a vibrant, funny, satirical, spoofy comedy that's full of a bunch of people that I know that are talking about a bunch of situations that I find familiar. And this movie has a bunch of people who I don't really know talking about a bunch of and getting into hijinks with a bunch of situations that I'm not really that familiar with. So it's like, while the movie is funny on a cerebral level to me, it doesn't quite hit me on that gut punch level of comedy where it's like, you can explain all the jokes in the movie to me. I'm pretty sure I get all of them. It's not going to make it any funnier, but like at no point in this movie was I thinking, wow, this is a bad movie. This is not funny. Yeah. I mean, it's not kind, it's not really that like bust a gut type of movie. I think it's more just makes you smile and nod at just the absurdity that is life. And I think that the way that campiness isn't necessarily a failure to be realistic, but campiness is a heightened reality that is expressive of what it's like to be in that experience to look at traditional kind of these stale 50s gender norms and see it as this kind of fantasy, right? Because they spend the entire time at camp learning to do these stereotypical things that, you know, my partner is straight, obviously, he's with me, um, but he doesn't chop wood, he doesn't work on cars, He doesn't play touch football. Um, I'm, you know, the primary earner in the household. I think that everyone is restricted by these stale gender norms. And so seeing them portrayed in this movie as just this kind of costume and superficial dressing over everything to me feels more real than if they were to do kind of a documentary level realistic depiction of a conversion camp. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I I appreciated that kind of removal from reality to kind of make it more tolerable, a, a better pill to swallow, just in terms of, like, it was just hard to watch this movie and to have her not have a voice throughout the entire movie because everyone was telling her what to do and what to say and how to feel. And you're just like, uh, why are you why who cares like you know what i mean just growing up watching watching the movie with my background it's it's just it sucks man it sucks that people have to go through this because i didn't i i very much was raised to just kind of be like hey man you do you whatever you want to do as long as you're not hurting other people that's fine I think though it's that's why I want to see more stories that are different from my experience because I want to understand other people. Uh, but I think also when you open up storytelling to include more than just uh, what you understand from your own experience, then you can take the same old tired tropes and breathe some real life in them. That's why when she has to go rescue Graham, she's really, it's, she really has to rescue Graham. Like if she doesn't go and declare her love, she could lose this person forever. And Graham could spend, you know, the next however many years of her life trying to be straight acting and being miserable. Like she really is, there to save her and i like that the first effort fails she tries to kind of just pull her aside and then the um the cheer is really the last resort yeah no yeah i like that i like that when like you said when we all know what the formula is and when movies use the formula to make it it's just i don't know it's hard to I don't know. It's hard to put into words, but yeah, I like that this movie has the formula and then it, it uses the formula to its advantage to make a, uh, again, I know it's not a, a wedding, it's a graduation, but they make a wedding interruption via cheer, like an actual heartfelt moment. And that's, I mean, that's very impressive. That's, it's hard to do. Um, I think the camp factor is just a, a hard thing to pull off in general. Did you ever see right. The Love Witch? I did. I liked The Love Witch. I, it sounds like, I, I think if I remember, you were not as enamored. Yeah, I wasn't as big into it. But, I mean, I saw it at Alamo Draft House with a crowd full of people who clearly it was not their first time seeing it. And so they all loved the movie. So if I'm going to go see a movie, I want to go see it with a crowd full of people who love it. And they all got it way more than I did. It kind of went over my head a little bit, but just in terms of like, yeah, getting that tone just right. Like uh, the tone that the love witch is going for is kind of that Satan's cheerleaders kind of vibe, right? but it's also got that twee kind of vibe that this movie has and, and hitting that tweeness and just the right amount hitting that kind of, I don't know. It's just very hard to do. And so even though it didn't quite, like I said, hit me on a gut level, the way that I think a lot of people who really love this movie so that it got to the point where it got the cult status that it did. 
Um, it's not personal for you, which yeah. makes sense because it, it's not your experience at all. What did you think before we, we move on to uh, who we wanted to kill? Uh, what did you think of the discussion of the roots of their homosexuality? I thought that was both the funniest and saddest part. Yeah, it, um, I mean, it, it's, it was very funny. It was very funny because the fact that people think that this can actually be all boiled down to like one defining moment. That's like my mother got married <laughs> in pants. Right. Yeah. Uh, fun, yeah. This movie has funny stuff all around. Um, Traumatic bris. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I like it. It's, it, uh, I don't know. It's hard. To, yeah. Oh, oh, one last thing. I loved the scene when Jan, the really butch looking softball player, came out as straight and no one believed oh, right. her. And I, oh man, I felt that pain because I don't, I wouldn't say like, I mean, again, I, I said it previously, I'm a recovering, not like other girls girl, but you know, I, I, I've definitely had my, one of the guys phase or had a more masculine energy than some of my friends. And I feel that pain where it's like, whatever gender you act like, whether you're masculine or feminine, or you look like this or you look like that is no indication for what you're into. And we make so many just blanket assumptions based on how people fear, whether they're how people appear, whether they're masculine or feminine and use that to determine, Oh, you like this or you like that. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's when you know you're in good hands is when moments like that pop up and they, they address the situation from multiple angles and they don't try to just come out and say, Hey, everything has to be one way or the other. Everything has to be pink or blue. Like, no, you can, just do whatever you want, you guys. <laughs> right. On, everybody just be friends. Come on, everybody. Love is love. So in that spirit of love, who do you want to kill? I don't know. Like, I mean, I want to try to say someone like minor or quirky just to have someone different to say. But yeah, I guess Mary, you know, like it just... You know, just marry. <laughs> I think yeah. when when people have religion, right? Like, it's not that religion is a bad thing, right? There's tons of people out there who are religious who aren't bad. But when people cling to their religion with such desperation that, like, they're willing to make other... Like, they're not even willing to listen to other people. Mary just wants everyone to do the things she does, to say the things she says. No straws. Yeah. It's, uh, she just wants them to be like puppets that she can play with, like little dolls in her dollhouse. Like that's the whole vibe of her whole group, right? Her whole, whole little summer camp. It's just basically her playing with human Barbie dolls. It is literally a dollhouse. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's so gross. <laughs> How about yeah, you? I, I think Mary, Mary's got to go. Um, yeah. But she plays such a great villain. I love she, that actress. Yeah, she's really good in the movie. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you want to go into horror territory first, if you want to 
Well, mine's going to be pretty short. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I haven't spent as much time on, on getting as detailed into my pitches. I, I tend to spend more time on the rom-com ones for obvious right. reasons. Um, so this one is, is going to be a bit brief in general. Um, but I decided to go with the idea of um, Megan's mom regretting sending her to camp and what happens based on that. Um, so this was challenging. I mean, even though you have the theme of them being whisked away and kidnapped, this was challenging for me. Was it challenging for you or did you find something really easily? I think for this one, I found it a little bit easier. Um, I have a very good setup. I have a very good setup and I, I almost had to fight back that temptation to like flesh it out. Right. Uh, Because I think my setup is very good, but if I start putting any more real, weight on these characters and scenes that they would they might start to fall apart yeah that that, i mean a lot of these pitches are touch and go as far as uh how well the stories are held together so let me bust through mine and then we can get to the good stuff meaning yours uh so i called this remake good as new Mm. So Nancy thinks she and her husband are doing the right thing, uh, sending their daughter Megan to a conversion therapy camp. But then Nancy begins to have doubts. So she visits a friend with a daughter who had just returned from True Directions. And then while uh, going back from using the restroom, Nancy sees the daughter in her room standing against the corner uh, facing the wall, you know, creepy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so Nancy goes to check on her. And then when she turns the girl around to face her, the girl's eyes are static. So she realizes that they basically just replaced, uh, the actual daughter. So the one that came back from camp isn't human. Uh, and she's clearly not the girl that left for conversion therapy. So Nancy's like, Oh my God, I got to go save our daughter because they're going to replace her with a robot. Um, (laughs) so Nancy (laughs) goes back to her husband, um, but he doesn't believe her and he suggests that she might need some time away for her health. And the next day, Nancy sees that her husband has basically called people to take her to a quote unquote retreat. You see, when you send your kids to camps to get corrected, the very same things could happen to you. It's a bad, bad thing to do. Um, so Nancy has to escape by stealing a kid's bicycle and she, you know, has to go rescue Megan before it's too late. Uh, and then she manages to get picked up by Larry and Lloyd. She tells them about how she needs to get Megan out of true directions. Um, but she also doesn't share that she's basically the one that put Megan there. Uh, and she starts to, you know, shed some of her prejudice as she's joined up with these people. Uh, and then meanwhile, Megan and the rest of the people at camp are starting to get hip to the fact that things aren't quite what they seem at True Directions. I mean, the place is kind of set up how an alien would think people are if it only watched like the Donna summer show or like leave it to Beaver. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, this is clearly what people act like. Um, so they, maybe they start seeing weird things like maybe Mary takes off her face and there's a lizard behind it or something. 
so Larry Lloyd and Nancy make it to True Directions with the intention of getting the kids out. But when Megan sees her mom, she outs her for sending her to camp and she tells her that she could never come home if she wasn't normal. Larry and Lloyd are disgusted. Nancy protests that she's changed, but Megan doesn't want to hear it. Um, but all of this arguing basically cost them because Mary Brown and the True Direction staff managed to cut off their escape attempt. Everybody's caught. Uh, they learn the truth. True Directions uh, is actually a group of aliens who replace people with straight acting robots that obey the aliens directives and they use it to overthrow elections and eventually to take control of the world. But overthrowing the U S government is, is a good start. Uh, And so the gang are all set to be operated on and disposed of when I literally wrote this, some deus ex machina (laughs) thing happens like the aliens dissolve because Nancy sprayed Chanel number five on them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So again, I I didn't really, I I didn't bake this (laughs) remix all the way through. I, I, but this is, this kind of shit always freaking happens in alien movies. They get splashed with water. Then something happens and it's like, Oh no, a substance I can't stand. Uh, and Chanel number five is actually completely disgusting. It's one of the worst (laughs) smells in the world. Um, so they manage to escape and then the true directions facility explodes in the background. Yeah, that's how it has to end. It's how it has to end. You gotta walk away from that explosion without looking back. Yeah. I wonder how we're gonna milk this for a franchise where maybe they have to go to different countries next time or... Well, maybe it can be like the end of the witches. Like they find some kind of record that the aliens kept and it shows that there are true directions, you know, all over the United States. Or maybe we have to bring the fight to the aliens. Yeah, we find their ship or something. Yeah. Docked beneath the the house. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely went with a... Uh, uh, this one is, is super anti-religious. Um, oh, even more anti-religious? <laughs> oh, big time. Uh, I don't have a good title for mine. Like, I don't have a good scary title, but I have a good spoofy, funny title, which is... Okay. But I'm a virgin sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it already. <laughs> so we're going to go into, like, a village type village. You know, village being... And like Shyamalan's village where there's this Satan cult society and there's like a priest president, like a, you know, a priestident type head figure who's got a magic staff and the magic staff actually does do magic stuff. It glows and it has some magical properties. And so these people that are in this small villagey type village, the small Jonestown type compound, they're all kind of all in on the fact that this Satan cult leader is the real deal. Right. And so you got a bunch of moms and dads and kids and, and whatnot. Um, and so then we have Megan and Graham and they're both in 
the virgin sacrifice contest because every year they have to have a big virgin sacrifice contest. Like a wet t-shirt contest, but for virgin sacrifices? No, a little classier than a wet t-shirt contest, right? More like a, a swimsuit bathing contest, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, and so they do. They do have like this contest where they have to be the perfect dolls to be sacrificed and you know it's it's very weird like any kind of beauty pageant would be weird and i say if you're into beauty pageants that's you, do you, you do think you. that a satanist would care if a virgin sacrifice had all her teeth it's a good question i would say for this movie yes maybe maybe there's a scene where we can play with that but this is the big sacrifice year though because every 666 years the sacrifice is extra special and they use the extra special knife the sa- the ceremonial knife right so it's very big and very important and megan is super down to be sacrificed she's like imagine how glorious it's going to be when satan comes to earth and he rains his fire down on all the sinners and she's totally <laughs> down to be sacrificed <laughs> And Graham, I can imagine Natasha Leon <laughs> saying these things. And so uh, uh, Graham, though, is like, she's more of the Rocky type of, or not Rocky, she's more of the Rambo type of hero where she's disgruntled by violence and she's like, no good ever comes from death, even from killing the bad guys. You know, she's just very disgruntled and whatnot. And Graham is an orphan, too. I don't know if you knew this. But uh, Graham is an orphan, so she knows death. She's been around death, right? She's here with her aunt and uncle. Uh, You know, she was indoctrinated at a young age, but still she knows death is not anything to be celebrated. So Mm -hmm. who wins? Megan wins. And while Megan is backstage for her ceremony to be prepped to be sacrificed, she overhears one of the stagehands saying, hey, uh, we've got a problem. We can't find the ceremonial knife. And so then the head president <gasps> priest no. guy goes, you know what? That's fine. Just use any knife. It's all fake anyway. I have this secret source of power that I use to get all my power. So it doesn't even really matter what knife you use because it's all fake anyway. So Megan is like, Meg- this was Megan's whole world. She She lived just to die for Satan. And now she finds out it's all fake. So Megan goes down to the super secret lair and she finds this like giant floating glowing puzzle box type Cinnabite type thing. And so it's like very HP Lovecraft. So even though we're dealing with very Christian elements, the the real source of the Satanist power is very otherworldly, very Cenobite, very H.P. Lovecraft. So it's not very Christian. It's very outsider. Uh, but Megan walks up to it, and and you can like see the the cube glowing, and then like you can sense the fact that it's telepathically talking to her because she repeats back, "I want revenge." And so then the puzzle box opens, and it's a knife. And you're like, "What?" So then Megan, a real, real knife, a real sacrificial ceremonial knife. So Megan puts the the fake real knife in the spot where the other one goes. And so then she goes through with it. She gets stabbed by the ceremonial knife. And so all the cult members are like, yay, we just killed Megan. 
And as the, the knife is in Megan's heart, her body begins to like transform into this HP Lovecraft, David Cronenberg's the fly demon yes. monster thing. And at first it's kind of humanoid, but as she begins to like suck the life force out of people, it becomes less and less humanoid and more like tentacly, Cthulhu-y, monster-y, like faces coming out of her back and stuff like that. Uh, and so that's kind of the setup to the movie, like the long 30 minute setup to the movie. The, the rest of the movie is Megan just trying to save everyone, despite the fact that she hates them because death is bad. And so she finds out things like Megan's family is completely nuts. And, uh, her aunt and uncle are actually the ones who betrayed her parents and killed her parents <gasps> because they're Satanists. And they, in order to join the cult, they needed to have a kid to be offered as a kid's virgin sacrifice. And they couldn't have a baby of their own. So they kidnapped their niece and killed the family. And all of the cult leaders are corrupt and offer no help. So as the monster Megan goes around killing cult leaders, she's also going around kind of killing innocent people. But it's kind of like they deserve it. But it's also kind of like, ooh, but maybe it's a little too much. Maybe it's too violent and gross and creepy. And then at the end of... And then at the end of the movie, uh, Graham and Megan kind of confront each other at the outskirts of town. and Like Graham, Akira style? Yeah. I 100% was thinking Akira while I was writing the end of this. Basically, Graham is like, I can't let you leave and take over the world, basically. Like, I can't let you Cthulhu out the entire world. And Megan is basically like, I have just enough humanity left in me to kill this monster inside of me however i can't save everyone in town everyone in town is gonna die and so then they basically have to part ways where megan sort of sacrifices herself to stop the demon but also she gets what she wants because she kills everyone who is gonna sacrifice her to the devil for no reason basically and then graham gets to just kind of walk away but she's not a winner either because everyone she knew is dead and she's just kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere with no she's one. She's a lone ranger. Yeah, so it's a very downer ending, very much, you know, we get we get the we get the setup of why these two characters would A want to kill everyone in town and B want to save everyone in town and then we make it so that killing everyone doesn't feel good uh, and saving everyone doesn't feel good and just nothing feels good. So anytime you get messed uh, anytime you get involved with human sacrifices shit gets messy real quick super messy i like Mm. it i like the spin on the village yeah it's like the village meets did you ever see the void no i don't think so oh wait is the void or no i was thinking of um what is it Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is completely different. Way different, for sure. But no, yeah, The Void is a good... That that is probably a movie that we'll get to at some point. It's a solid solid little H.P. Lovecraftian cult horror. Everything goes to absolute shit fest movie. I like it. Well... That just about does it for I, but I'm a cheerleader and it's horror remixes. Before we get into our love bites, our recommendations, 
Let's tell you guys where to find us. We are on Instagram at the Necromancer Podcast. We are on Facebook and Twitter at the Necromancer Pod. I think it's just Necromancer Pod. Necromancer Pod. And Gmail at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com, where you can reach out to us with any questions, topics, ephemera, feedback. Yes, rate, review, like, share, all of your podcast platforms of choice. Tell people about it. All the things. Spread the word. The good word. So, last episode, you recommended cats as your love bite. Your love bite was cats. Uh, Is that your love bite here as well? Yes, I'm going to love bite more cats. cats. Yeah, Tony. Tony loves. He's a he's a love biter. He's already bitten Sonia and I a couple times. Uh, he's very love bitey. He's so sweet. But um, double down, triple down, quadruple down on them cats. That's right. Um, no, I've got. Uh, I've been watching. I've been looking for a show to watch that's like a background kind of show, kind of like uh, I guess Law and Order SVU for you. You know, it's like you can have it on in the background. It's a good show. You like it, but if you have to step away, it's all right. Um, or if you have to just stop an episode, that's fine. Um, I've been watching My Name is Earl, which I had never seen before, really. Like, you know, an episode here or there. But going through it front to back, this show's good. I mean, I'm only in the first season, but the show's really good. The show is very good. It's about a guy who's got to get his act together. And it's very funny. I used to have... The biggest crush on Jason Lee back in his skateboarding Kevin Smith days. Oof, I, I used to think he was so cute. Yeah, I like I like shows like this and like Who's the Boss? Uh, just shows where people are hanging out, having a good time. You know, Earl is just about Earl getting into hijinks, and you can tell Jason Lee. Like, what a great job to have. You just show up on set, and you just have fun. Oh, I like that. Speaking of having fun, I'm going to recommend uh, a different show inspired by But I'm a Cheerleader. Uh, There is a show called We Are Here, and it is about three drag queens, alumni of RuPaul's Drag Race, Mike from True Directions, and uh, we're here, three drag queens, they go to different small towns in America and make over, uh, each of them chooses one person to make over in each town, and uh, the people they make over have different stories. And in the first episode one of the people that they put in drag is this woman who initially rejected her daughter for being gay. And just like the parents in, but I'm a cheerleader, you know, said awful things to her daughter. And then because of that, they no longer have a relationship, but then, you know, her being in we're here, she's there to demonstrate to her daughter in the world that she can change her mind And I would never tell anybody that you have to or you can't forgive somebody who's wounded you in that way. I mean, ultimately, that's 
between that woman and her daughter. But to see somebody grow and to change from their prejudices and to interact, you know, in a different way than they did historically, it's really affirming. And so I, I like We're Here as a concept, as a show, and I really enjoyed seeing them uh, show these different stories uh, and then just put a bunch of people in drag, which is always fun. Right. Uh, yeah, we're here. Is Do you know if that's on a streaming service? It's on HBO. So if you okay. have HBO Max, which I don't know why HBO just keeps churning out streaming services because HBO Max has everything that the regular HBO Go has. So you just... You just pick one, uh, but it's an HBO show. Gotcha. Yeah, I wonder if Sonia's seen that. She's big on the RuPaul Drag Race uh, world. Bringing families together. Uh, but yeah, people grow and people change. I think that we can get towards a future where people uh, have more tolerance and things like that, but uh, people also have a past. So it's important to show that evolution and, and allow people to grow. And I think We're Here does a good job of showcasing that. Very nice. All right. Well, I guess that's it for today. One, two, three, four, we're out the fucking door. Nice. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. All right. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.